Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Cinco de Mayo to everyone. My name is Anthony Viola, and it's Out of Here podcast is on right now live. We have a guy who works with the New York Mets. He does their pregame show at City Field when they're home. And when they're away or home, he does their postgame Twitter spaces on uh, the Mets station. It is Mike Janella. Mike, how you doing, my man? Hey, I'm doing well, Anthony. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm here at Hollywood Studios in Disney World having a grand old time. But we're here to talk Mets recap of the month of April. And what a month of April it was. 15 and 7, I believe the record was for the month of April. I want to know your thoughts on the start of the season, at least overall from those numbers. Did anybody think that the Mets would be 15 and 7 starting out? What do you think? I think those of us that were optimistic thought that, but obviously uh, you never know until you know. Anyone that's been following the Mets, uh, as you and I have for as long as we have, knows that sometimes the best laid plans don't work out that way. So uh, it was a pleasant surprise, especially once we all got the Jacob DeGrom news in spring training. I think it's a Mets fan's uh, natural inclination to always expect the worst and go in that direction with their thoughts. So to come out of April 15-7 uh, and seven, and even now – uh, almost a week into May and being 18 and nine, uh, not too shabby, not, not too bad at all. Not too bad at all to be the best team in the National League as of right now, winning percentage wise as well. Um, I wanted to t- talk to you about uh, the seven straight series wins, which is a, a, a Mets franchise record. Um, that's never happened to start. Their history and the fact that they were able to do it with their pitching. How, how well their pitchers have been performing without the Grom, like you were mentioning, is just phenomenal, especially McGill uh, coming in and uh, filling in for the Grom being out and Scherzer having to pull Hammy for uh, a day or so to give him some extra rest. What's your thoughts on McGill and the pitching staff? Uh, so far, so good. And so far, better than expected, right? They were, I think, up until maybe yesterday, top two in the NL, if not Major League Baseball, in strikeouts and whip and opposing average and all these different metrics and stuff. And uh, that was the worry, right? You knew pretty much who you were going to get with Scherzer and with Bassett. And then beyond that, it was, hey, what's it going to be? Is it going to be the healthy Carlos Carrasco from the Cleveland years? Or is it going to be the Carlos Carrasco that's struggle to bounce back between various injuries, uh, both, you know, very serious with the leukemia and then not like it, like last year where he never seemed to get into his groove. Uh, would Tyler McGill's last year be a flash in the pan? Could he extend that? Uh, what would David Peterson get you? Taiwan Walker, was he the all-star from last year's first half or the guy that looked a little bit like he hit a wall in the second half? And uh, so far, so good with those guys too. Uh, obviously, Tyler, we're talking a lot, we're focusing on April here. Uh, didn't have his best start, had his worst start of the year uh, just yesterday from when we were recording this. David mm-hmm. Peterson uh, finally gave up more than a run uh, at the major league level his last turn in the rotation, but right. still able to, to battle through and give the Mets enough for a win. So this is something that the starting pitching, like it has been traditionally for the Mets, is a huge catalyst and what's carried them. But the good thing is that it hasn't had to be untouchable. You can have... Right. Uh, David Peterson give up four runs in the game. You can have Max Scherzer give up four runs in the game, and the team can still win, which they both did this past week, because the offense is so good and balanced, and it's been great scoring the most runs in the majors you know, for most of this season so far. So the starting pitching has been incredible, and the stats are there to back it up. Hopefully there's going to be some regression to the mean. There's no way the starting staff is going to have like a 2-2-3 ERA or whatever for the whole season. That's just not how baseball works these days. But Absolutely. if they can stay at least – somewhere in the threes, in the low threes, and, and be in the top part of the baseball 
that group in that department, I think this offense is good enough that they can sustain that uh, all season long. And since we're on the offense right now, we might as well talk about the offense. Our offensive production stats this year so far are phenomenal, especially with runners in scoring position and two outs. Scoring with two uh, runs with two outs is, is a big thing. Uh, but right now we're still looking for those bases loaded key runs that we're looking for. And yesterday the Mets had chances, but they could have come through yesterday with runners in scoring position as well as runners on base. But your thoughts on right now, this, like you were saying, the stats of the offense, uh, what this offense is capable of going forward. They're capable of a ton. Uh, look at what they've done already. And they've been leading – I mean, I got to check the stats now as of yesterday, but I know they ended April as the, you know, having the most hits, the highest OBP in the league. Uh, at some point in the series against the Braves, they'd scored the most total ones in all of baseball. They're averaging more than four and a half a game. Uh, to your point with kind of the clutch hitting, uh, yeah, struggles yesterday with, with risk and with two outs. But even we, we had a stat during the game the other day where the Mets have the best two-strike average in baseball. Uh, right. They're hitting 50 points higher than league average when their hitters have two strikes on. They've got four guys, that's almost half a lineup, four guys in the top ten in the National League for hits with two strikes. So when you talk about choking up, batting down the hatches, you know, with two strikes against you to try and make contact, try and get on base, that's what the Mets are doing. So that's something new that we haven't seen in the last couple of years. They're top five in the majors in base runs, according to fan graphs, after being bottom five mm-hmm. most of the last five years or so. So it's all little things that goes back to, I think, Buck Showalter being in charge and a lot of the philosophies that his coaching staff has implemented. This is a team that now doesn't have to get a guy or two on and wait for a homer to beat you. They can string together hits. They can get on base. They can draw walks. They can go first to third. They can take advantage of wild pitches. They can score on sack flies. They can go uh, line to line with their base hits. They can go against the shift if they want. you got guys like Marte. Jankowski that are legging out infield hits. I think the Mets lead the league in infield hits, too. So this is a team that offensively can do a little bit of everything. And that's a team that in this day and age in baseball is very dangerous when so many other teams rely on just waiting for that big homer. Yeah, and, and you mentioned about Buck Walter. I mean, this guy comes in, veteran manager, knows his stuff, knows his craft, and uh, just is – a game changer really for the New York Mets in a way of, you know, we haven't seen the hit and run, like you said, the stolen bases we haven't seen in years. And I think that also is a testament to, um, you know, well, not only that, but this team just, uh, we finally got some fast speed runners in Jankowski, Marte, uh, Lindor, and Nimmo when he gets on base, when he gets hot again, he's in a little slump right now, but he'll get back on it. Um, uh, I mean, this team just overall, and we also got to give credit to Eric Chavez too. I believe he's had an influence on this team as well, especially when it comes to two strike approach and your thoughts on that, uh, your thoughts on Eric Chavez so far and his job. He's been great. And I got to chat with Eric before the uh, season started. Uh, We were still in the lockout at that point. So we couldn't talk specifics of uh, players and stuff like that, but just talking to him about his general uh, philosophy going forward and it was great because he – and I'm, I'm going to completely uh, mess this up by forgetting his name. <laughs> but the Mets also have like an assistant hitting coach that's working with Eric Chavez. Oh, yeah, and he's a guy – the other gentleman, I'll try and find his name here in a second. But he's a guy okay. that is more analytical and brings a lot of the stats and stuff like that. Whereas Eric Chavez brings the feel and the approach. Mm-hmm. And he's the guy that – 
has done it, right? He has. Right. You know, he hit literally hundreds of homers in the big leagues. He was a multi-time all-star. He's a guy that's been through slumps. He's a guy that's been playing for winning teams. He's played in New York. It was for the wrong side of New York, but he played for New York at the big league level. He knows right. what it's like to do it in this market. So he's someone that I think, and just being his age, you know, he did this recently. A lot of hitting coaches that uh, try and say, oh, well, when I was in the bigs, we did this. You know, they play back, they played back in the 70s or the 80s. You know, Eric Chavez was able to do this uh, very recently, up until the last decade. So I think you see guys that maybe remember when he was playing. Maybe they were in the, in the minor bigs already, maybe some of the more veteran guys. And it's just, it's, it's, it's credibility. And it's authenticity. He's a legit dude. He just, what you see is what you get. And that's someone that I think players really have an opportunity to gravitate to and learn from. And then when you get that nice, that back and forth, um, oh, here we go. I got the guy now. It's uh, Eric Chavez, (laughs) Jeremy Barnes. Yeah. Jeremy Barnes. That's it. That's Jeremy Barnes. And so, uh, you know, Chavez brings the approach and Barnes brings the analytical thing and the players can kind of pick and choose which they want more of. I think I was reading a story in The Athletic about uh, the two of them, actually, a couple weeks ago. And I think uh, like Mark Hanna loves the analytics, right? He's like, hey, show me the iPad, give me all the data, give me all that stuff. Yeah. Someone like maybe Francisco Lindor likes more the approach. He's like, oh, just tell me how I'm looking, how I'm feeling, how I should be going in there. I don't want to be bogged down with numbers. Just give me the numbers I need, that kind of stuff. So it's important to know that each guy on your team is going to require a different coaching style. And I think the Mets and Buck are great at identifying what each of their guys needs and how to give it to them. And you talk about Lindor and you talk about McNeil and both of them and what changes they've had this offensive season compared to last year. Uh, the amount of positivity between the both of them and seeing them in the clubhouse yesterday in the dugout, just getting along real well after a couple of flyouts, like, oh, I thought I hit a home run yesterday. Oh, I thought I got one too, you know, and you see the reactions on both of their faces. They are loving themselves right now they're doing really good right now they feel really good right now so it's good to see the positivity for sure in the clubhouse which is something that was lacking last year um speaking of positivity in the clubhouse these hit by pitches uh, i believe have brought, yeah have bought that positivity in the clubhouse to where each uh, they got each other's backs and you've seen that especially in the second or third game of the season when buck goes out there and charges and says hey don't be hitting my guys don't be pitching in if you can't you know hit your zone. Uh, what's your thought on the hit by pitches? Do you believe there is some intent behind them or do you believe it's more of the uh, sticky tack situation that baseball is trying to get back to doing again? It's hard to tell because every individual case, I'd say, you know, 85, 90% of the, the HBPs we see, there doesn't seem to be any intent behind them in the moment. It's mm-hmm. a changeup or it's a tie game or there's runners on base and you're thinking, why would they hit somebody here? doesn't make any sense. But then when you look at how often it happens, you know, in the grand scheme of things, the macro, you think there's got to be something to this. I mean, Mets lead the majors in, in HVPs this year. They've been hit the most by any team since 2018. Yes. It's going back a few years now. More than the uh, Astros, right? <laughs> yeah, even more than the Astros. Hard to believe. Uh, you know, for me, I just feel like it feels like it's, it's more coincidental to me than anything uh, causal. Uh, but to your point, it's what you do with that that matters, right? Mm-hmm. And what the Mets have done with that is used it as a, as a catalyst, as a thing to rally around. And nothing you love more than seeing a manager that gets your back, seeing your mm-hmm. teammates come out and scuffle for you. 
seeing Pete Alonzo go Greco-Roman wrestling out in St. Louis, you know, in, in, a, in a scrum a couple weeks ago. Um, so it's, it's, you take what you get or what you're given, and it's how you react to that that shows you what a team's all right. about. And I think with the Mets being able to react the way they have, it's, it's been very galvanizing. And so, you know, personally, I think it's, it's, it's more times it's just circumstantial than not, but I love what the Mets have done reaction-wise to it. And then to your point earlier about the chemistry and the camaraderie, I mean, winning helps everything. Right. And when you're sitting in first place, guys that maybe weren't getting along the most last year are best friends now. But I think that also comes down to Buck Showalter. This is a guy that, mm-hmm. uh, pun intended, the buck stopped there. And right. starting in training, he instituted a culture that I think is, is it's no frills. It's no nonsense. It's all business. And you're bringing guys like Marte and Canna and Scherzer. Scherzer, above all others, I think, also institutes that very same kind of no-nonsense culture. And I think once that permeates throughout a clubhouse, you're going to have guys uh, falling in line, for lack of a better word, but doing it voluntarily and doing it happily because they're sitting in first place. And not saying that the Mets, you know, they were in first place for, what, 109 days last year uh, to start, uh, you know. So right now it's a matter of them keeping it going. Uh, and I believe, like you said, with the way this team so far is performing over last year, I believe there's a possibility it could continue. But uh, we can't finish uh, the month of April without talking about the combined no-hitter, only the second no-hitter in Mets mm-hmm. franchise history. And, you know, to be honest with you, even though, you know, all Mets fans, you know, we, we heard it on the pod, on your post-game show, you know, it, uh, that people were saying, well, it's a combined no-hitter. So what? It's still a no-hitter either way. I mean – five pitchers came out there and performed their best and they got it done. And uh, what's your thoughts on that combined no hitter and how that went about? I thought it was great. Uh, for, you know, for folks who don't know exactly what I do at city field, the first five or six innings or so, I'm pretty uh, busy running around the stadium, trying to get to all the different places where we do our entertainment uh, spots and contestants uh, contests and things like that. So right. I kept I catch as much of the game as I can, but there's a lot of times where I'm in the tunnels underneath the stadium running around from point A to point B, or uh, I'm, I'm doing stuff with, with fans and contestants and stuff, and I can't catch as much of the game as I want. So uh, I, I knew Ty Lohr was, was doing well. I didn't, to be honest, realize it was a no-hitter until he was coming out, and I saw that there was no hit. But we've seen no-hits for five innings a lot of times, right? right. And then when I finally got uh, upstairs to when I could start prepping for our potential post-game show, and I realized in the seventh inning, oh, wow, this is still happening. All right. Um, that's when I started locking in. So I'll always remember it where, you know, the first half or so of the game, I didn't realize what was happening. But I started clicking in when you start taking it seriously, right? So for the last right. couple of innings, I was just like everybody else uh, on their couches or on their chairs or, or whatever, uh, really zoned in. And I, I said this in our pregame show at City Field the next day. You could argue and this is certainly a hot take, but you could argue that the combined no-hitter is more impressive than the individual no-hitter. Because sometimes, oh, yeah. sometimes guys just have a day, right, where they're – but mm-hmm. more times than not, you see a, a hitter, when a guy is just shoving on the mound that day as a starter, sometimes they like a reliever coming in. Oh, give me a different – Exactly. Doing nothing against McGill today. Let me see what I can do against this guy. We saw with Clayton – game this season when Dave Roberts pulled right. in after I think it was seven maybe it was six the very mm-hmm. next pitcher gave up uh, the hit to the very next batter I think so right yeah. I think it's I think sure it's, it's impressive to have one guy just be that masterful 
and there is that sure. romantic element to it. And yeah, you love to see one guy just have that game all to himself. But when you look at just at the numbers, the Mets one was, I think, the 315th no-hitter ever, and only 16 or 17 of those have been right. combined. So exactly. Statistically, it's even rarer to have that many guys come in and all be that successful compared to one guy being able to do it. So, and, and that's it's just more pressure on every guy, too. You could argue who feels more pressure. Is it the one starter in the eighth and ninth inning when they have a no-hitter, or is mm-hmm. it every single new guy that's coming in and he's being tasked to not drop the baton that the guy before him gave him? That's for a psychologist to maybe dissect. I don't right. know. But right, can you imagine like Edwin Diaz coming into the ninth inning and thinking, "Man, these guys have brought me here. All four of these other guys. Now I gotta close this out." I'd That's be right. nervous and anxious, right? It's true. Yeah. So um, I get it. I get it. If if you like the more traditional uh, no hitter, I think this takes nothing away from the accomplishment. Point. I believe it's because a lot of people want um, want, to, uh, want the ground and want Scherzer to get the no-hitter. Uh, the sexiness part of it and also the fact, you know, the ground coming back from this uh, shoulder issue, you know, it would be a, a act like a manic uh, uh, turnaround for him if he was to get a no-hitter. But, you know, a combined no-hitter, like you said, is very rare and I think it's very special. Uh, 17 is, with the Mets now, is 17 combined no-hitters. And in, in uh, history of Major League Baseball, which is very rare. It's more rare than you see the 315. Uh, so, you know, it's it's different, you know, and it's a good feel to see that. Uh, a team coming together for and you know, and a you know team what? The win. Mets, the, Mets still haven't had, the Mets still haven't had a perfect game, so you can save that no. for DeGrom. Uh, exactly. Or or if they want to get Ex- something on their own. Right, exactly. So, I mean, Mets fans, don't worry about it. I mean, it's going to happen at some point. We'll see a perfect game or a no-hitter thrown by the Grom or Scherzer. We know Scherzer is definitely capable of it. He did it twice with the Nationals in 2015. I mean, he still has that repertoire under him. So, you know, we know we can, he can do it. And so can DeGrom when he's healthy and he, you know, stays away from these shoulder and forearm issues, hopefully, uh, when he comes back. What are they saying right now? Are they still saying June, July? I've been hearing mixes between both right now. What, what's the word on that? Do you know? Yeah, uh, no, I mean, I've got no inside information uh, besides what's been already reported publicly. Last I read, you know, nothing. it looked good. It was healing and progressing when he got his last MRI, but mm-hmm. now he's got to build back up. So I don't know where he is at in his progression, but uh, last I heard is just the last, last you heard or anybody else heard. Um, well, well, just imagine. Right on just, track. Im- just imagine what happens if this guy comes back and not only if the Mets. The way they're doing uh, what they're doing right now. Just imagine him coming back. It is almost like adding another piece from a trade deadline. You're getting him back. Him at, at 90%. Yeah, and, and you don't have to give up anything. <laughs> right. He, he was only pitching at 90%, probably. 80% during spring training. And sh- in like four innings pitch. I mean, I mean, the guy is phenomenal, even when he's not even at his full potential. So just imagine that. Uh, so, so much to look forward to. So I want to finish it off there. We're going to conclude with what we think our numbers will be for May. If this, if this continues, you know, we feel bad about Trevor May going down. We did hear about that four weeks. Um, and what, uh, what are the Mets thinking of doing? Are they thinking of bringing in another pitching arm? Or do they think they're going to go ahead and get another offensive bat from the minors to replace May's absence? Uh, no, it's going to be an arm for sure. Uh, I think offensively they have what they have right now. You've got all the guys and their roles pretty well established, and everyone knows what you know what they got to do. And bench wise, they're they're strong. We saw that in the doubleheader. 
this week against the Braves, uh, you have Jankowski, you have Guillaume, you have Dom Smith, J.D. Davis, all these guys that can mix and match with the starting lineup. So I think offensively they're set, and there's no need to bring up someone like a Nick Plummer right now or to mm-hmm. even rush one of their prospects up. I know everybody wants Francisco Alvarez in Queens yesterday, but I don't think you need to do that right now, especially when the offense is, uh, by, the, by some numbers, the best in the National League right now. So it'll definitely be an arm, whether it's someone from the minors that really starts to stand out or somebody they can get externally. It's a little early, I think, for teams to want to be dealing right now. So I, I'm not right. sure if Smith are going to find anybody from another roster. But you never know. There's these, mm-hmm. there's these 40-man rosters. Casualties. There's these uh, minor league free agents. There's a lot of guys that might be top caps, mm-hmm. and we just gotta hope that maybe now David Peterson stays up longer and he's more of a swing man. If Taiwan Walker can stay healthy and they don't need Peterson in the starting rotation, maybe they want to limit McGill's innings because it's just his second year. Maybe he gets put into more of a bullpen long man role for a couple of turns in the rotation. Uh, I don't know. I don't know the Mets, uh, the Mets plans for any of these guys, but uh, with Trevor May out, I think it's certainly, if you're looking for any reinforcements or any cavalry, it's going to come in the form of, of more relief arms uh, as opposed to bats. And then hopefully just, just keep doing well enough until Jake comes back and then that'll move mm. every other domino back a spot and and could solve a lot of problems so yeah. fingers crossed that all goes according to plan yeah absolutely i i definitely agree with all of your statements i i really believe david peterson deserves a shot the way he's been pitching especially his last outing after he had that rough outing where he gave up three four runs and then in the minors he gave up what was it nine runs in his one game that he pitched in the minors so and he seems like he's starting to fit in into the major league role and then, like you said about McGill, you know, if, if it winds up Jake comes back, I, I could see McGill being a long man in, in the bullpen. And uh, what a good arm to have to give you something happens to a starter where he goes down or, uh, you know, not performing to the level, you know, you need somebody to eat up innings so you're, the rest of your main bullpen guys can get some rest. Uh, I would see that happen. Yeah. I think that's a good move. Yeah, certainly. So, it, I'm sure it's not what the Mets are hoping for because he has this right. to be a six-inning guy. But, you know, if you have right. a dominant arm like that and know where to use him, you'll, mm-hmm. you'll find the place. Absolutely. So, And uh, I guess one last thought, uh, the, Cano, <laughs> the Cano move. So I was all for it. I wanted him DFA just because, yes, he, his bat, you know, everybody wanted to give him a shot with his bat, but we're ready to win now. And – you see everybody performing on the team to their stature, their ability, you know, except for the catchers right now, but they'll get there. You know, Nito is a streaky hitter. So is McCann, but Cano, a hall of famer, a guy who everybody expects to hit is not hitting. So what do you do? Well, Steve Cohen made the decision. Billy Upper made the decision. They made a big decision decision. to go ahead and and release. Well, that happened. It, it was uh, illuminating. That was the word that I used on our Twitter Spaces show the night before on what the decision would be like. And it showed us what this front office and what this ownership group is all about. Um, they, now I, Billy Epler said in the press conference after the move that he and Buck talked with Steve Cohen and they gave him the idea of what they wanted to do and they asked if it was okay. And Steve said, make the baseball decision. Right. And that was his only input on that. And if you look across sports, those are the owners you want, right? The guys who have the financial success to enable their people to do what they want without getting in and meddling themselves. 
you don't want a Daniel Snyder type, right? You want a Bob Kraft. You want a Mark Cuban. You want these people that say, yeah, go out there, be the best in the business and do what you got to do. I'm here to support you. And that seems to be what Steve Cohen's doing. is telling Billy Epler, do what you got to do. Telling Buck Walter, do what you got to do. And what those guys thought they had to do was free up that playing time for the Jankowskis, the Dom Smiths, the J.D. Davises, those guys, and tell Robinson Cano, you know, thanks for your time. But uh, to quote the great John Cena, your time is up, my time is now. Um, and this is just not mm-hmm. a team or a roster that has room for him anymore. So, you know, Robbie, like you said, uh, no doubt Hall of Famer. Uh, you heard all the guys talk about the fallout from the decision. And even before it was made, how much of an influence he was in the clubhouse. Just a great mm-hmm. leader, someone to learn from, great personality, someone a lot of the guys looked up to. But to take it back to one of the points that I made to you earlier, winning cures everything. It cures chemistry. Right. It cures, you know, leadership issues. It cures all this stuff. So if it turns right. out that Travis Jankowski keeps doing what he does for this team, if Dom Smith keeps hitting, if everyone else keeps doing what they're doing and the Mets keep being the best run-scoring team in the space, then everyone's going to be totally fine with the move. But it was definitely interesting to see uh, from a financial decision that the Mets were mm-hmm. willing to – to, to take that bite on that contract to make what they thought was the best baseball. But it's certainly got to be encouraging for all Mets fans knowing that this front office and this ownership group uh, certainly feel like they're going to be making every decision moving forward with what's best in their minds for the product on the field and in the standings. Exactly, because this is New York, right? I mean, and New York's big on, on, on financial uh, stability and you know, and we finally have it in Steve Cohen and now you got Steinbrenner on the other side pulling his hair out but right now of course the Yankees are doing real well as well on the other side so I mean you can't complain both New York teams are doing what being where they should be really in in the standings and we were hoping that going forward and it's looking that way and I'm not saying anything bad about Cano when it comes to his um his leadership in the clubhouse for sure was great And, and I mean the players did look up to him and they appreciated his apology when it came to the PED use you know, and that's, you know, that speaks a lot of volumes about Cano as a person. Um, but to me, it just seemed like it was just time for it to be an end in New York, at least for the Mets anyway. Who knows if he goes back to the Yankees? They're saying no right now, but you never know what can happen, right? I mean, that's baseball for you, so you never know. But, Mike, I appreciate you being on this program. It's been a pleasure. And also, I love that you guys uh, get me on to the postgame show. I really do appreciate you for that as well. Uh, this is a big season for me of, after my dad's passing uh, that hopefully he's up there in heaven guiding these Mets to hopefully a world championship. And I'll tell you, I'm going to be the first person in that New York parade <laughs> if it happens. So I you bet know, I'll see you there for a row. That's right, my man. I appreciate you, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Uh, hopefully we have a great May. Let's go Mets, all right? All right, Anthony. Yeah, it was a great April until for uh, May. Just as good, if not better. Appreciate Always appreciate talking to you. That's right, man. Thank you so much. All right, guys, that's all for my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And you have a great afternoon.